Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Before we get started with today's episode, I want to let you know that Austin's audio is super quiet, and I don't know why that is. I'm looking into fixing it, but just please bear with us. Thanks. Welcome, welcome. You are listening to Mama Mystery, but you probably already know that. I am your host, Kelly, and this is my husband slash co-host, not special guest, Austin. Hello, everybody. Hey. So before we get into today's episode, I want to tell you about a little giveaway we are doing. Many of you have already participated in this, and I can't even explain how much that means to me. So thank you so much to everyone who has already participated. But if you haven't already... Um, This is what we're doing. In an effort to expand our audience, we are doing a raffle for $40, I'm sorry, for $50. And to enter this raffle, all you have to do is review this podcast on Apple Podcast. Spotify doesn't allow reviews, so it does have to be on Apple Podcast. And this is very important, but you have to actually write a review. Otherwise, I won't be able to see who gave the review. So it can be as simple or as extensive as you'd like, but if you'd please go review this podcast, you're not only helping us grow, but... You have the opportunity to be laughing all the way to the bank. With, with your $50. $50. You know what we got to start calling it? What? We got to start referring to it as 5,000 cents. And just like we're, gonna get, <laughs> we're giving away $5,000. Cents. Sense. Pennies. Yes. That reminds me of this story. Um, apparently, this like Hooters girl got really <laughs> obsessed. I know a girl that worked for Hooters. <laughs> I really wish you wouldn't have just said that. But anyway, there was a Hooters girl. I don't know where she was, but I just remember this very vividly when it happened. It was so ridiculous. She was in this contest, and the the winner of the contest was going to win a Toyota. So she worked her ass off to win this contest. It was an Xbox car, Hot Wheels. No, she went outside, and it was a toy. Yoda, like from oh, Star Wars, oh, and she like idiot. filed a lawsuit and like I'm no not kidding. And she was she was super upset. She worked her she worked her tits off for that Toyota, she, she and all she got was a Toyota. <laughs> oh brother. Okay, so anyway, we will be picking the winner on December twenty third. So if you or so you have until then to enter. Oh, dude, you can win fifty dollars. 5,000 cents. Yeah, buddy. All right. So without further ado, we're going to get into today's episode, which is Bad Teachers. So before we hop into the episode, probably you've been watching the show A Teacher because everybody has. And the reason everybody has been watching that show is because let me tell you what the show is about. Yes. The show is about a student, male student, banging his female teacher. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's popular because everybody, and I mean everybody, including Kelly and including you, the listener, and including oh me, has had a thing for a teacher. Yeah, but... Or you've thought about it. Sure. Maybe you've thought about it, but 
it's a little more rare to actually cross those lines. Right, but everybody's thought about it, which is why the show is so popular. Because, because they actually this, do. Yeah, yeah. Everybody has the little promiscuous thought. The fantasy. Yeah, and so you know what? That's why the show's crazy popular and it's hilarious because at the very end of it, after this teacher's... You know, I'm not even getting graphic about it. <laughs> after they're doing their thing in the car, the screen goes black. Oh, gosh. And then the screen says... If, if you, you need support. If you need support, as if if this is happening to you, go to screwyourteacher.com because we can relate. That's not actually the website. But, but it's yeah. like it's all of a sudden the support hotline after it's yeah, like they, romanticizing it. Yes. That's what I get upset about too is the fact that they totally like fetish, fetish you know the word, yeah, fetishize, well, and then romanticize it, it all. Well, but that's that that right there though is what prompted me to write this podcast. So I did some research and I pulled two cases that we're gonna talk about today when it comes to inappropriate relationships between a teacher and a student. Let me say something. Yeah. If it was a male teacher and a female student, yep. Problems. Exactly. That is exactly did, have you read this already? No, but it's double have you been standard. snooping on my computer? I've not. It's well, a it's a total double standard. So that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. The first case we're talking about is a female uh, teacher and a male student. And then the second case is switched. And you'll see the vast difference between the two cases and their punishments and the media and everything. But we need to make sure that everything in this world is equal because everything needs to be equal we're all soft. Okay, we're not going to go there. Gosh, we're not. This could, is not I a. I could lay into that no, topic right different now. Different podcast. And ruin all your day. It's not this. Podcast. It's, it's not, not that one. type of podcast. Maybe I start a podcast where I talk about just the most debating shit ever, like that. Yeah. Piss people. Like off. hot topics. Hot topics. Women's rights. So, yeah. So what I wrote was um, that while we watched this show, I made the comment that this would be a completely different show if it involved a male teacher preying on a female student. And then again, I wondered what the ratio was between male teacher predators and female teacher predators. It turns out male teachers are more likely to have sex with underage students, while female teachers still account for over 30% of all teacher-student sexual offenses that have been reported. But think about this. In many cases, female teachers just get a slap on the wrist while male aggressors receive much harsher penalties. And you also have to consider the fact that many boys probably don't report their relationships. Is this backed up with like facts? Like that's backed up. Yes. So for example, in a teacher, the show, Eric, the student in the relationship, stands in front of his mirror multiple times repeating, I'm the fucking man. This is the cheesiest thing. It's so cheesy. It's so cringy. I am like so embarrassed for this poor kid. But anyway, more often than not, it seems as though someone else finds out about the relationship and reports it because the boy involved is probably too proud to find any real wrongdoing. So other teachers who find out or maybe the kid's parents or friends actually end up reporting the relationship. So I bet a lot of these really go kind of undetected or under the radar. Um, so I ended up Googling teacher and student scandals and came upon, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just littered with like all these examples, but one of the top ones was a page on oxygen.com that showcased a ton of female teachers accused and charged with crimes in the realm of sexual misconduct with minors. But these women are so glamorized. They're literally showcased on this particular page because of how beautiful they are. The double standard is so sad and insane. Can you imagine if there was a page on a popular website like Oxygen? It's like a TV channel. If there was a page dedicated to hot male teachers who were accused of having inappropriate 
appropriate relationships with young girls. It would be a totally different story. It wouldn't happen. 100%. It wouldn't happen. 100%. So today we are going to talk about two teacher-student relationships, one involving a female and one involving a male teacher. So first we are going to talk about Deborah Lefebvre. Her picture is on our Instagram and Facebook pages if you're interested in seeing what she looks like. She's a very attractive woman with blonde hair, blue eyes, and an hourglass figure. Go ahead. Is she hot? Oh, my God. Go ahead. You know, sometimes I think, like, man, if we ever had, like, merchandise, if this ever got big enough to do merchandise, what would we put on our our T-shirts? Is she hot? That would have to probably be one of them. So, anyway... She's very attractive, blonde hair, blue eyes, hourglass figure. What's her name? I'm looking her up. What's it say? Deborah Lafave, L-A-F-A-V-E. So she was born on August 28th in 1980, and oddly enough, she actually dated Nick Carter from the Backstreet Boys while she was in high school at East Bay High School in Gibsonton, Florida. They dated for about a year between 1995 and 1996. And I read somewhere that he actually lost his virginity to Deborah during that time. I don't know if that's fact. Um, Nick hasn't texted me back yet, but I'm just waiting. Deborah's she's kind of hot. She's cute. I mean, she's not ugly. It's just just wait. Deborah's dad worked for a power company, and her mom worked as a cosmetologist. But growing up, Deborah had a slew of issues, and it all began when she was 13 and was found having sex with a boy in a school bathroom. A teacher walked in on them and, quote, let them off the hook, but Deborah recalls a very different account of the story. She says that the boy, who was her boyfriend at the time, forced her into the bathroom and raped her. She never told anyone about this, as many rape victims can probably relate. She buried the trauma of that event, and it manifested into other issues like panic attacks, drinking, obsessive behavior, and an eating disorder. And reliving banging in school. Take it seriously, Austin. I'm just Grow up. All right. <laughs> at, age, at age 18... She became interested in modeling, and her first job was for a car magazine called Makes and Models. She eventually went to the University of South Florida, got her degree in English. While she was in school, her older sister was killed by a drunk driver, and this was a huge blow because her and her sister were super close. So that, combined with other past traumas, she realized she needed some help. She ended up getting on Zoloft, and it helped for a little bit, but she eventually became immune to it, which does happen. And, um, but despite all of that, she graduated with a high B average, and after graduating, she was hired as an English teacher at Greco, Greco, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, uh, middle school in Temple Terrace, Florida. After about one year of teaching, she married her longtime boyfriend, Owen Lefebvre, in 2003. Their relationship appeared to be perfect from the outside. They were a gorgeous couple, and Deborah recalled how wonderful Owen was. He often took her on trips, got her flowers, took her on romantic dates. He was a very doting husband. But she also recalled her depression rearing its ugly head, and I couldn't find anything on whether or not she switched medications or upped her Zola for how she planned to treat her depression after she realized that it wasn't working anymore. But she would, re- she would have really good days and then really bad days, which to me sounds more like bipolar depression that maybe wasn't being treated properly. Um, she'd say that she would have days where she didn't want to get off the couch, she didn't shower or brush her teeth, she would drink a lot, but then she'd have days where she was quite the opposite and a little manic, 
at times. Like colleagues recalled her taking, I'm sorry, talking a mile a minute, wearing revealing clothing, and they just would ask themselves, like, what the heck is going on with Debbie? So one day, Deborah was chaperoning a class field trip to SeaWorld in 2004, just one year after she married Owen. And in fact, her husband was even on this field trip. But at some point, one of the 14-year-old boys on the trip became flirtatious with Deborah, and she took note of it, and she felt super flattered by that. So she allowed herself to feel excited by it, and it just created a very slippery slope. 14. 14 year old boy. She is 24, 23 or 24 at the time. She was macking. Oh, see, this is exactly what we're talking it's about, crazy. Austin. No, no, it's crazy. It's uh, wild that this is allowed because if that was the shoe on the other foot. But it's not allowed. It's not allowed. It's not allowed. It's illegal. But it, it's definitely viewed differently. Which is what why which is I know is what you mean when you say aloud. It's it's viewed very differently. Mm-hmm. Double standards. So Deborah began smoking, listening to rap music, dressing really provocatively for school. She began spending more time with this 14-year-old student. Without his parents knowing, she would drive him to his basketball games. And she said that on one of those rides, she told him that she couldn't stop thinking about him. He's 14. He is 14. He probably doesn't even have hair on his balls yet. That's insane to me. A 14-year-old kid. The show we're watching, he's 18. I'm not saying it's all right, okay? So go ahead and... It's like right there on the cusp, though. Like, But 14. What the hell are you doing? So then one day, she asked him to come to her classroom, and she kissed him, and that was their first kiss. Except days later, the boy came into her classroom again, but this time he brought one of his buddies. She says that he held her against the wall and proceeded to stick his hand up her shirt to expose her breast to his friend. She claims that she was super upset by this and felt totally violated. However, the boy recalls this event very differently. He said he jokingly asked Deborah to flash him, that she raised her shirt, and that was it. But a week or so later, the boy was staying at his cousin's house, and on June 3rd of 2004, while her husband was at work, Deborah drove to see the young boy. And this was like 100 miles away. She picked him up and his cousin and drove them back to her apartment. They ordered pizza and rented a movie. And while the movie was playing, she took the boy upstairs to her bedroom. And this sounds so much like the Pam Smart case that I did a few weeks ago with Romeo. If you haven't listened to it, I suggest you go do so because the details of these women abusing their role of power are so similar. So anyway, she took the boy upstairs, performed oral sex on him, and that's as far as it went that day. But 10 days later, she invited him to help clean her classroom. I guess it was like summer break and, you know, teachers like clean their bath or their um, classrooms over the summer. And then they like redecorate for the next year. So she asked him to come and help her. And when he got there, they had sex in the classroom for the first time. 14. Insane. So then the next day, she drove back to the boy's cousin's house 100 miles away. And after picking them up, she gave the 15-year-old cousin her car keys and had this cousin drive them around while she had sex with the boy in the back seat. What in the world is wrong with this chick? Yeah, 23 or 24 years old. So when they were finished, she took the boys out for smoothies and shopping. Heck yeah, let's go get a smoothie. (sighs) Sex, smoothies, and shopping. Ooh, S, S, S. We ought to do that this weekend. 
Austin, what? oh my God. We're married. Just relax. Good Lord. We're married listeners. It's fine. So what she didn't realize though, was that while she was hanging around with this boy and his cousin, one of the cousin's friend's mom noticed that something was off. So she called the cousin's mom to let her know what was going on. And eventually it made its way back to the boy's mom, right? So in an attempt to smooth things over, because Deborah found out about this, Deborah called the boy's mom, hoping to like get in front of it, but it was too late. The boy's mom already asked him what was going on, and he admitted to having sex with his teacher. What? So what she would you do if your 14-year-old son told you they were having sex with Oh your my God, I would throw hands. I would go find her and take her by her neck. I can't I can't say much more, or I'm gonna like yeah. I'm going to sound like a psychopath, but when that's exactly what I think of when I think of cases that involve children or young kids, I think of my own kids and how I would react as a mother. I don't know how like a mom doesn't just go off. I don't know. I mean, they have way more self-control than I do for sure. So she called the police and detectives questioned him and had him call Deborah while they listened. And he would invite her over to his house and promise that his mom wasn't home. So I have a clip of... Probably sounds like, hi, Deborah. <laughs> no, so I have a clip of this phone call. And the boy is hard to understand because they disguised his voice. But just listen to the way that she talks to him. And remember, this is a 23-year-old woman. They disguised his voice. Yeah, like in the recording when it was released, oh. they disguised his voice. Okay, let's see if I can start this from the beginning and do it right. Okay, and then there was another clip. Let's so what see. happened was he, she, he, if you couldn't hear it, he said, I promise. And she said, do you pinky promise? Yeah, but she's like, do you pinky promise? And he said, oh, I pinky promise, dude. And she's like, okay, good. I'll see you soon. I'm 23 and I'm a married woman. So anyway, that was our really good reenactment. I hope you all really enjoyed that. Probably Yikes. Like shutting off the podcast. <laughs> so our when... Oh, gosh. So when she arrived at the boy's house on June 21st, 2004, for her scheduled appointment, she was immediately arrested and taken into custody. During her trial, she was evaluated by three psychiatrists hired by the defense. Here we go. Who diagnosed her with bipolar disorder, which could explain some of her erratic and wildly inappropriate behavior. But while I say that it might explain it, it does not excuse it. So let me just make that super clear, okay? Obviously, she was like suffering from some sort of mental breakdown. That's a good thing about the podcast. Mm -hmm. If we say some shit that's maybe borderline, like somebody could take it and twist it, they probably just don't like us, so they wouldn't be listening this long. So if you're listening right now, you're probably not going to take something we say and twist it and be like, you're horrible people. Yeah, I mean. be listening this long. Yeah, like, you know, so give us the benefit of the doubt. Stuff. Yeah. So anyway, the case was dragged through courts for two years. Her husband, Owen, divorced her. And soon after, she got engaged to a childhood sweetheart named Andrew Beck. In, it wasn't Justin Timberlake or whatever. <laughs> Nick Carter. Yeah. In November of 2005, her lawyers agreed to a deal with prosecutors that she would only be sentenced to house arrest if she pleaded guilty to lewd and lascivious, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, battery. 
But there were still charges pending in Ocala, which was the the county or city where the boy and his cousin were living at the time. And the boy's mom didn't want her son to have to testify, given the notoriety that came with this case, because it was all over the news, like all over the country. She didn't want her son to be exposed to that, so those separate charges were dropped. So now Deborah Lefave is twenty, or I'm sorry, forty years old, a registered sex offender, and can only work in jobs that don't put her in contact with minors. Um, it looks like things didn't work out with Andrew Beck, but she has since given birth to twin boys. And other than that, she lives a very quiet life and just keeps to herself. See, I think it's nuts that these people, like in an episode like this, she could listen to this podcast. Yeah. It's just weird to me. Yeah. Like, if you're listening, lady. I hope you got help. I hope you got the help you needed. Yeah. Sheesh. Yeah. So now we're going to take this in a slightly different direction. And I want you to think about how your reaction to Deborah LaFave may differ from the story. I'm about to tell you, even though the premise is ultimately the same. I, I know, but I kill him. It's, that's what's ridiculous, and I don't know why it's like this. Well, think about it. Explain, because I, I... I don't know. Do you know why it's like this? It's messed up? I don't, but I think it's more uh, typical of a man to respond that way. A man to be like, high five, high five, kid who banged Deborah LaFave, and then want to wring the neck of the next guy that took I advantage of a young our girl. Stu- our stupid human nature that's in us. Because men are just not bright. Okay, that's a dumb thing. <laughs> maybe sometimes men think with the different head. Oh my god! And it's inappropriate. You got to do better. It's it's it's, a, it's human nature. It's just idiotic. It's a testosterone flowing through our testes into our body. I don't even mean to say this to be rude at all. So please don't take it that way. But do you think it has anything to do with the fact that men mature? Like For slower sure. than women, yeah. So maybe it also has to do like with like my, maturity. My right now is any different when I listen because it's not like I'm still maturing in that regard. Mm-hmm. This is, I don't know why it is. It's just freaking weird. All right. Well, we're going to move on to our next story, which is that of um, Tad Cummins. Okay. Dirtbag. <laughs> is this guy out there listening still? Doubt it. Doubt it. So um, we begin this story in Kolioka, Tennessee, with a 15-year-old girl named Elizabeth Thomas. Elizabeth had been homeschooled her whole life with her four siblings. She was somewhat, somewhat of a tomboy who loved to play rough. She spent a lot of time with her best friend Aaron and her mom because back at home, it was a very chaotic and abusive environment. Elizabeth and her sisters actually called... CPS on their own mother. I, th- I said sisters. I think I meant to say siblings. Sorry if I said that. Um, anyway, they called CPS on their own mother, Kimberly, blaming her for neglect. Her dad worked as an exterminator and worked long hours trying to make enough money to support their large family. Once their mom was removed from the home, it was time for the kids to attend public school. Elizabeth remembers entering as a new student, and the first thing the boys did was call her ugly. They made fun of her. She felt like an, out- an outsider, unable to break into the already established cliques. And that's tough. I went to a middle school. When I went to middle school, it was um, I didn't know anybody there because I was like going to a school that was out of my district. And that's really uncomfortable. And at such a young and vulnerable age, you're already like so insecure that it's just... Man, it's a shitty situation. Um, luckily, I had people who like brought me in, but Elizabeth was just not so lucky. So uh, she finds one person, though, that she does feel like she can befriend, and it was the health teacher named Tad Cummins. 
He was a very popular and friendly teacher. Colleagues and longtime friends described him as very outgoing and charming and a bit of a cut up. But some colleagues described him as a bully and someone who couldn't stand to be told no. He married his high school sweetheart, Jill, the year they graduated from high school, and they had been married for 31 years at the time that Elizabeth arrived at the school. So this dude's like uh, 50, 49, 48, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. So God was the center of their marriage and their whole life together. Tad had even done mission work in the rainforests of Panama. He taught Sunday school and sang in their church's choir. They had two daughters together who absolutely cherished their dad. And the kids at school really liked Mr. Cummins. They knew him as the cool teacher who could like really relate to the kids. When Elizabeth met him, she was very drawn to him, and she was a very vulnerable girl coming from an abusive home. She's a new girl at school with no friends. So to make her feel important, he gifted her a Bible, and then they even offered to take her to church with them so Tad and his wife Jill would pick her up and take her to church with them on Sundays. Jill would even call her their third daughter and remembered Tad and Elizabeth's relationship as like a father-daughter relationship. So then things kind of began to change. Elizabeth confided in Tad that she was feeling depressed and anxious and that she was considering getting on an antidepressant. He told her that she shouldn't do that and that she should just start coming to him for counseling. Over time, they began to confide in each other, and apparently Tad filled Elizabeth with some phony stories, like that he was a CIA operative at one point, he was an FBI agent and a multimillionaire, and then he had like homes in Costa Rica, just like this really wild life. He told Elizabeth that he had killed people, including bin Laden. And she fell for this. <laughs> She's 14, 15. She's young. She was homeschooled. Like, she's probably not very socialized. I mean, I don't know. Don't at me if you homeschool. I'm just saying, like, you know, she probably. That bitch, Kelly, talks about homeschoolers on her podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, Elizabeth admits that she trusted him and looked up to him as a mentor. Outside of school, they began interacting through Instagram. And Tad's posts started getting kind of weird. He would post pictures of quotes that said, You're all my heart ever talks about. And it was love at first sight, at last sight, at ever and ever sight. But Elizabeth started posting some eerie quotes as well, such as, I look, go- I look forward to going to school just to see you. Hey, I missed some of this mm-hmm. movie. What year did this happen? Oh, this was... Oh, shoot. Did I, did I not say? You might have said it. Um, I'm not sure. Look it up really quick, because I don't think I wrote it down. Okay. It's kind of imperative information. Sorry. His name? Tad Cummins. Tad. Um, So she posted pictures that said things like, I look forward to going to school just to see you. And then another quote that was like, I love you so, 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 with like 20 so's so much. Holy shit. I shouldn't have looked it up because now I just saw something. I just saw what happened. (laughs) Just tell me what year it was. Um, 20. I know it was relatively recent. Shoot, yeah, it was really recent. Hold on, keep reading. So she admits that he started texting her, and he was texting her sexually inappropriate text messages. And at one point, while she was sitting across from his desk at school, he told her, you would look really good naked, and kissed her in his classroom. Then he ushered her into a... 2017. Yeah, really recent. Really recent. Yeah. 
So then he ushered her into a classroom closet to have a little more privacy, but what neither of them realized was that another student happened to see them kissing and immediately took that information to school officials. The school investigates and asks Elizabeth what's going on, but she denies everything. Oddly enough, the school didn't even tell police until the following week, and in that time had allowed Elizabeth to go on a class trip with Tad as the only chaperone. Apparently on this trip, Tad made a pass at Elizabeth, suggesting that they mess around while they're on the class trip, but she declined. And then that following week, the school advised both Tad and Elizabeth not to contact each other. Tad insists that he is just a father figure to Elizabeth and denied ever kissing her, but five days later, he gets suspended from the school. So his wife, Jill, of course, was shocked to hear that he got suspended, but he reassured her that this was just rumors, that she believed him because they had been married for 31 years, and she felt like their marriage was good, and she had no reason not to trust him. Teachers and students seemed to side with Tad because they knew him for so long. The students loved him. The teachers knew him as this like charismatic, great teacher. And um, a lot of the students were telling Elizabeth that, like, she ruined his life, and they were name-calling her and teasing her. Even the teachers, apparently, were kind of, like, snickering about her, talking behind her back. At home, Tad began making plans. He taught his wife how to do things around the house that he was normally responsible for. He asked Jill, his wife, if he can borrow her SUV to go to an out-of-town interview, and she lets him go. Then he goes to his bank, takes out a loan for $4,500, and picked up two prescription refills of Cialis, which is a drug for erectile dysfunction. Meanwhile, Jill has no idea that Tad has been planning an escape with Elizabeth Thomas. So Elizabeth drives to the local Shoney's restaurant where she's supposed to meet Tad and told her sister to call the police if she wasn't home by 6 When Tad picks her up, she notices that he put a gun in their center console, which she says made her nervous. So really quick, there's been so much discrepancy between whether Elizabeth wanted to go or not. And regardless of whether or not she wanted to go, she was in danger. She was a child being abused, whether she believed she was being abused or not. Because I've I've been like racking this in my brain, thinking it seemed like she was you know, engaging in this, that she wasn't like an unwilling participant. Not that that makes it okay. I'm just saying in my head, like she's clueless. She's clueless. She was clearly manipulated and brainwashed and taken advantage of because she was a very vulnerable girl coming from a pretty crappy situation and very, very immature. And Tad totally took advantage of that. So whether or not she like wanted to go or not, she's still exactly. That's that's like the thing about normalizing pedophilia. Is mm-hmm. that how you say it? Pedo- yeah. Like there's a lot of normalization of pedophilia going on. Yeah. Like what? And it, I cannot and believe that's a thing. Mind blowing. And it's like, like like in this normalizing pedophilia, they say let if the kid wants to, then it's okay. It's not ever okay. Yeah. So I feel like what's happening here is these kids who are so young, way too immature to be making any sort of like big life decisions. But I also, I get your other side too. Like, you know, 
you can't say a 14-year-old girl wants, is culpable. wants to go with this 45-year-old, yes. old guy. So you have to let it happen because she wants to, and she needs to be able to make her own decision. Yeah. No, that's not okay. No, it's not and okay. I feel like that's like kind of the world we're in right now. When I say normalizing pedophilia, is it's mm-hmm. like... Like, I'm not trying to get political or a hot topic here with anything. It's just that's what this comes down to is like, like when you talk about what people say, people think there's people out there that think, well, she wanted to go with him. Right. And that's what I'm saying when it comes back to the people who were making fun of her or name calling her or siding with Tad and these teachers even. It's like, how dare you look past the fact that whether she wanted to go or not, she's a fr- fucking kid. Sorry, I'm like trying not to cuss, but then I'm like, no, I'm cussing because this is so serious. You know what? I'm going to cuss. I'm going to freaking this. cuss on my own podcast. I'm going to freaking cuss. But anyway, so that's that's a little side tangent. See, I should have gotten this fired up about the other one. I, it's weird. I yeah. Is, see, I, I mean, I, I at least... I admit it. I don't know. I'm at least glad that you recognize that I because it, it is the same. That boy was even younger than her. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's crazy. Continue. So anyway, they meet at the Shoney's. They take off together, okay? By 10 p.m., Tad's wife calls the sheriff, and so does Elizabeth's dad. A warrant is immediately issued for his arrest. They start driving south and throw their phones off a bridge. Tad disconnects the car's GPS, and they claim a license plate off of an an abandoned van. Their journey takes them across nine states, all the way to California. On this journey, Elizabeth recalls him being really emotionally abusive towards her, only letting her eat certain things to try and keep her thin, and calling her his wife, insisting that they'll be together forever. That's weird shit. They go to Walmart. They're, like, shopping together. It's caught on the security cameras. Um, At one point, Elizabeth became withdrawn, and she was, like, really struggling with everything that was going on. So he went and bought her alcohol because she said that he just didn't want to deal with it. So he just got her drunk because that helps. When someone's sad, feed him alcohol. That typically helps. So stupid. So then Tad gets the idea to cross the border into Mexico. He buys... Let's go to the Federales. He buys a kayak and makes a plan to kayak from San Diego all the way to Panama, which is 3,000 miles. I thought you were going to say Tijuana. No, Panama, like the farthest south. What an idiot. Why? Why didn't she try to boat to, boat to Hawaii? I mean, that's still in So stupid. Saying, like, what a dipshit. So stupid. They get to paddling and quickly realize that they're in way over their heads. The kayak is simply not built to withstand the huge waves I or the extreme distance. I mean, you're a CIA operative and an FBI guy, a health teacher, clearly not geography or science, physics, none of that stuff. Clueless. Totally clueless. So he realizes that he needs to make another new plan. He searches the nearest commune. Do you know what a commune is? A commune is like a little village where everyone in the commune contributes to their lifestyle. Everyone chips in, sharing responsibilities, and they all live together on a piece of land, and they typically live off the land. They're like totally off the grid. It's kind of cool. It's interesting. In a weird way, it's kind of cool. It it actually is really interesting. When you think about when COVID-19 hit and everybody can't get toilet paper and everybody's freaking out about food, and it's like you And they're just like skipping around their fires, totally fine. Yeah. Like when the world goes to shit, whenever it does, these people are going to be just in, like... You know what's crazy? Nothing is different for them. They might not even be aware that it's going on because, first of all... pay attention to news or TVs. 
So this particular one, the nearest one that they found, is called Black Bear Ranch, which is so far off the grid, they don't have any TVs, cell phones, Wi-Fi, or even newspapers. It is super reclusive. One of the members of the commune is a guy named April Showers. And I love their names. I just love their names. April Showers. And he was with May Flowers. And then there's another guy named... um, June Storm. Oh my God, Laughing Wolf. His name is like Tony Laughing Wolf. He has like a normal name and then Laughing Wolf. I mean, it's like every kid's dream to just like, you know, when you're a kid and you just like mix up mud and sticks and leaves and you're like, I'm just living off the land. Yeah. That would be my life. Living off the land. Like, I've heard this before that like the thought of someday, I've just, I've heard this before the thought, whatever. Imagine the thought of someday seeds are currency. (laughs) All right, let's get back on track. So one of the members... (laughs) Fuck off. Back to the podcast. (laughs) This is too much right now. We're going way too far. Rabbit trails. Yes. Oh, my God. All right, I'm going to shut up and listen for a while. April showers. (laughs) He recalled the day that Tad and Elizabeth arrived at the ranch, introducing themselves as John and Joanna. It wouldn't take long for them to be kicked out of this commune, which resulted in Tad throwing a huge fit. So they head for the nearby village of Cecilville. So while they were going to Black Bear Ranch, they stopped at a gas station because they were out of gas and had no money. And they stopped at this gas station in Cecilville, which is like not very far. I think it's 20 miles away from Black Bear Ranch. They meet a guy named Griffin Barry and... The guy is nice enough to give him like 40 bucks for gas and they go on their way. Well, when they come back after they've been kicked out of the commune, they run into Griffinberry again at the gas station and he happens to own this property with cabins on it. And Tad tells Griffin that they're from Colorado and they lost all of their belongings in a house fire. So Griffin, being the nice guy that he is, offers them a cabin to stay in until they can get back on their feet. The cabin, however, is nothing but a box, like not insulated, not carpeted. It's literally like a wooden box with some windows. To make extra money, Griffin puts them both to work collecting river rocks for some masonry project. I don't know if they're like building a like a fence type of wall or what. I just want to say that when you look them up, it looks like Tad is the father and she's the daughter. Oh, totally. It's gross. Like, I don't know Super why they gross. Yeah. Griffin gets a feeling like something is totally off about this couple. And sure enough, the next day, a neighbor sees a poster of the Amber Alert with their faces on it. So they immediately call the police and the, the police comes around their cabin in no time. So that's where their journey ends. They had been gone for 38 days. What? Yeah, that's a long time. Um, Elizabeth begins going to counseling and her and her family go after the school for allowing all of this to happen and failing to protect her. And, um, I think they settled for like hundreds of thousands of dollars. And then Tad pleaded guilty to a charge of transportation of a minor across states, state lines with intent to engage in criminal sexual activities and also a charge of obstruction of justice. And he was sentenced to 20 years in prison. So ultimately, doubt it. Definitely Unless doubt it. Unless you listen to my 2050. <laughs> uh, maybe. And if you listen then, Tad, you're a dirtball. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, 
Ultimately, these two cases may seem differently or different, but they are eerily similar. They both involve a teacher and their monumental abuse of power, but the results are vastly different. Deborah Lefebvre was sentenced to house arrest, while Tad Cummins is in prison for 20 years. This is just one example, of course, but the gap in justice between male and female offenders is quite common. Female teachers are often fetishized and given a slap on the wrist while male teachers, like I've said many times throughout this prog- or podcast, are adequately brandished as predators who typically get hefty and appropriate sentences. But this is just one way of many that our justice system is truly flawed. So yeah. It's a wild one. one that was so different than like your normal killings and murders. Yeah, this is a good Freaky Friday episode, I think. No one died. Nobody died. And right I now... This is a scandalous Saturday episode. Ooh. Scandalous Saturday. Um, update on Elizabeth. She is like living her life, getting her GED, and uh, wants to become a medical examiner. And she hopes to start a family someday, and she is trying to oh. overcome the trauma that she experienced with Tad. So, um, so was she traumatized by it or was she like, Oh, for sure. I yeah. didn't know if like, whenever it came out and all this happened, was she upset or was she like, yeah, I went along with it. I was cool with it. She never admitted that she did, but that's where the discrepancies kind of are because when she's making those Instagram posts about like, Oh, I just go to school loving, like, can't, I can't wait to see you. That's the only reason I go to school. And I love you so, 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 so much. Like she's making posts like that. And then. She drives herself to Shoney's. And she she does say in some interviews that she felt obligated to because he was threatening to kill himself if she didn't. But that hasn't been corroborated. So, I mean, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I just am trusting her that, you know, maybe she felt, maybe she didn't really want to go and knew it was wrong, but maybe she liked him just enough to appease him. I don't know. I mean, that's the thing about sex offenders. They can be wildly manipulative and brainwash. I mean, it, who knows where her mind was at? She was also just a, a young teenage girl. Did Tad's wife divorce him? Yes. Had a girl. Had a girl. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to our podcast. Don't forget to review us on Apple Podcasts for your chance to win 5,000 cents. 5,000 cents. And uh, yeah, until next time. Mama, mystery out. Bye. <laughs>